0: Hello everyone, this is Kathak Kachakkar. My name is Pramit and this place is designed to be a central platform to bring conversations with Kathakars across the globe. So now it's recording. So Shivani Baggi is a New York, New, uh, New Jersey based dancer with 20 years of dance experience in Kathak, Lavani, and Bollywood. She began her training in dance at the age of five under Guru Padma Khanna at Indianica Academy. She furthered her dance education to learn ballet, jazz, and contemporary at Joffrey Ballet School, Mason Grove School of Arts at Rutgers University, and Broadway Dance Center. She has had the opportunity to perform on reputable stages at Alice Tully Hall in Lincoln, Center during the 50th anniversary of Lincoln Center at Warwick Castle and Island Gardens for the American Alliance of Performing Arts, London Invitational, Theatre for the New York City and NYC, Philadelphia Museum of Art, NBA Halftime Show, and Times Square at Diwali. Shivani is currently furthering her Kathak education with Guru Saryat Salahuddin Pasha of Ability Unlimited. She currently teaches Kathak and semi Kathak. Classical at a dance studio, the Gurukul Performing Arts in New Jersey. Shivani D, how are you?
1: I'm very good. How about you?
0: Doing well. And since you're kind of exposed to Kathak and Bollywood at the same time, uh, well, I guess we let's just start with talking about the, 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 the assumed hierarchy between Bollywood dancers and Kathak dancers. So could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So I think, um, you know, as classical dancers, we... Or as dancers in general, we have so much respect for our art, right? We mm-hmm. hold that, um, we have a lot of passion, but we also have a lot of respect. And mm-hmm. because it takes us so many years to truly understand even a small sliver of it. Right. So even now I can call myself a Kathak dancer, but sometimes I'm like, am I a Kathak dancer? There's still so much for me to learn. Right. So much for me to understand and, um, about myself, uh, as a Kathak dancer in my body. So because of that, um, I think we think of others who may not be spending 15, 20 years in their art at one time as not respecting their art as much. Um, because to some, Bollywood comes very naturally, you know, and especially for us, you know South Asians, <laughs> dancing in Bollywood comes very naturally. We hear that beat, and we can just start dancing right away um uh, mm-hmm. and we you know, I think it is right for us to also respect that, you know, and their art, and realize that uh as years have gone on, this world of Bollywood has come to mean many different things. And mm-hmm. the training in those different styles under the label of Bollywood has also come to mean something a lot more uh, intensive than we originally thought was possible.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh. So on that note, uh, when you think of... Uh, so I just want to explore that a little bit. So if you're talking about Bollywood as a dance form, uh, so now with Kathak, I, I have a slight, I have some understanding of what the structure is and what goes on and the progression of it. And so, how does it work when you talk about Bollywood as a as a dance form?
1: Sure. So. Um, I'll talk a little bit about how I introduce Bollywood to my students. Sure, so, go for it. Um, To be clear, what my students learn is their primary, everything is kathak. Then when I feel mm. like they have a certain amount of knowledge and awareness about their bodies, especially if they start off like me, I had, you know, at the age of five or six, sometimes they're so lost <laughs> in their own world, but... Mm-hmm. um, you know, once they're able to really understand their body and control their movements a little bit. I do like introducing some folk songs, some light Bollywood songs. Um, I think when we think of Bollywood, it is more choreography and song based, right? So what the choreography and song is dictates where it's coming from. So for example, I can have a Bollywood song that has more of a garba feel. Or I can have a Bollywood song that has more of a Bhangra feel. Or I can have a mm-hmm. Bollywood song that has more of a semi-classical feel, right? Okay. Now for that, I will always say that it's really important to understand the underlying uh, dance style that it's, being based off of right so if it is based off of something like garba okay let's first understand what is garba where does it come from what are some of the basic techniques of this style and then Mm -hmm. okay we can apply it to something like bollywood um so i think when we're talking about learning bollywood it has to do with okay that's a big umbrella term and Mm -hmm. what does it mean on a more you know uh Smaller level that each song can mean something extremely, extremely different. And now, you know, the way that we're that um, that world is changing, it can mean being based off of something like hip hop or being based off of something like contemporary. So now it's actually coming to introduce um, non Indian styles as well, which can be very interesting and uh, bring a lot of new perspective to a dancer. I think it's just important for us to be able to respect. Whatever underlying basic dance style there is, understand that properly um, and then move on to the song or the choreography.
0: So on that note, how how much time do your students typically spend in Kathak before trying to adapt to a Bollywood dance form?
1: I don't ever, you know, for example, a parent will ask me this also, and I won't ever give them an actual number. Because mm-hmm. it's totally dependent on each student, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There are some students who come to me with Bollywood experience already. Okay. And they want to learn kathak. Now, sometimes mm-hmm. that can be very helpful. And they learn extremely quickly. Um, mm-hmm. because They have that awareness over the body. Sometimes okay. that won't really make a difference. <laughs> and they'll still yeah. start off like a complete beginner. Um, mm-hmm. It really depends on the child, right? So some children are also not able to... Um, concentrate on two different styles at the same time. So for those, me and the parents are able to have a proper discussion to decide that, okay, they won't be doing Bollywood. That's never a mandatory thing. And they will just concentrate on the Kathak. And this is something I tell them also that your Kathak still has to be extremely strong. If I see for some reason that that is faltering, or I see that you're not able to properly do your Kathak because of the other styles you're learning, then Take a step back, start mm-hmm. concentrating on your classical completely a little bit more. Okay. You, you can always go back to it later. That style is not going anywhere. You know, you can go back to it at a different time when you feel more comfortable with what you are doing.
0: I in- understand and Susan I, I like that you gave that uh, that there is no right there's no like there's no number for it and it just depends on person to person and when it comes to progression I like uh, in no, when it comes to I'm just uh, touching upon this a little bit when it comes to say progression is there something like a beginner student can do an advanced student can do in, Bo- in a Bollywood style that a beginner student can't how do you check for progression in that In Kathak I kind of get the feeling but how does it work in the Bollywood style
1: um, so a lot of it might be um, just this. I'm trying to give a, a equivalent, you know. Yeah. But um, sometimes it can be just the speed of the song, right? Faster mm-hmm. choreography yeah. would be for someone who's a little bit more advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Right. It could also be um, the the technique of using your body. Now, for some of these kids, I'll explain, for some of these kids doing something that's more folk, where they're just, you know, doing a simple folk, uh, you know, bouncing step will come to them very easily. But now, say I put in, you know, a leg extension of contemporary, that may not be as easy for them to learn at that age, but something more folk based can. So sometimes it's also just the style, right? Uh, Okay. They're doing. And then also, of course, the level of choreography, right? I'm not going to be when I'm, when I'm setting choreography to the rhythm uh, Mm -hmm. for a beginner student, I would just hit, you know, slow one, two, three three four but for an advanced students I might go one and two and three and Mm -hmm. four and one you know something like that so that level of choreography will also make a difference how many beats I'm going to hit how I'm going to set that
0: okay thanks for making that clear with that example I think now that makes sense and I have an idea of where that comes from and when it comes to like since you're in the classical domain and you're kind of in the Bollywood domain and, you know, with classical, uh, with the classical, there is there's there is a, a certain amount of gatekeeping that happens that you can do this, you can't do this. And since you exist, do you, uh, in that sphere, do you get a lot of pushback for what you do? And if so, how do you deal with that?
1: I do. I do a little bit yeah. where, you know, sometimes the, you know, if I'm doing Bollywood or I'm doing mm-hmm. any other styles uh, like right. or anything, sometimes people can you know, make the assumption that that means I'm not as dedicated to my Kathak. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, people are going to talk. <laughs> it's, for, it's Sometimes it's good because it keeps me in check about my Riyas for Kathak. Um, right. But for me, on a personal level, uh-huh. I, I make sure that doesn't happen is I I properly am very consistent about my Riyas, right? I'm very consistent about my Kathak, making sure that I'm constantly in learning mode right if I'm teaching and performing I should always still be in learning mode and um be able to uh you know go back to things and constantly check up on how my technique is going and everything and also just you know put it in boxes right when I when I'm practicing my um sometimes it can be a little similar right for example lavni is a very rhythmic dance so yes that will help me in, in that sense, right? In terms mm-hmm. of feeling my rhythm and everything. But if I'm practicing my contemporary, um, for me, that's a completely different dance style. So sometimes I'll mm. you know, just dedicate one week. That That's always been a very good tool to me where I'm like, okay, this is my contemporary week. So, um, you know, I'm going to mm. fully concentrate on those techniques so that I can really deeply get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and refresh it a little bit and kind of put that in a separate box <laughs> than my Kathak
0: <laughs> okay and I think at this point it'd be good to have like a basic chronology because we've talked about you talked about three three major things and correct me if I'm wrong there's the contemporary side of you there's the lavni side of you and there's the Kathak side of you yeah. so in terms of timelines which ones came first and then how did you start adding on different dance forms to your repertoire
1: sure so um, Kathak uh, came first and, okay. Um, I would say when I got into, you know, more of my teenage years, then mm-hmm. I started bringing in Lavni more. My guru started doing okay. more Lavnis. Lavni is a very mature dance form, right? So it, it's okay. not something that you can, well, you can, but um, to really understand the lyrics and everything. Mm -hmm. starting after your teenage years is always better so that added in then and um when i got Uh,
0: uh, shivani real quick could you tell us a little bit about what lavni is because most of my listeners are like listening for a kathak podcast so it'd be good for them to know as well in case they didn't know like i didn't know
1: (laughs) totally so uh lavni is a folk dance from maharashtra and it's really known a for its very very rhythmic beats based off of the dhulki and mm-hmm. for the lyrics of the songs, the lyrics are usually more sensual in nature. Um, okay. Beautiful, beautiful lyrics. And mm-hmm. um, it's like poetry, right? Uh, hmm. As a song. So um, there are different types of lagnis. Sometimes you have lagnis where are, they're betty, completely sitting down. Sometimes right. um, then you have your Sringar lagnis, obviously. And then sometimes you do have lagnis which are based on like Radha Krishna. Um, so... Uh, There are a lot of different types, but it's mainly about the very rhythmic beats and uh, the beautiful lyrics uh, that you want to portray. And it's very based in, you know, what's happening in society right now. I always see it as a Hmm. reflection of maybe the things that we don't talk about in society. (laughs) So the the unsaid. (laughs)
0: Okay, and so you so you're talking about. I think you talked about bringing in lavni in your teens, and then I think you're talking about contemporary.
1: Yes. So I brought lavni in my teens, and then um, when I started college, uh, so one thing, right, mm-hmm. that in America, when you're a dancer and you're in college, and I and mm-hmm. I was like, well, I I want to dance, right? So I'm like, mm-hmm. Can I take dance in college? Mm-hmm. But although I had so much experience, it didn't necessarily mean anything in terms of me taking a major as dance or a minor in dance in college because right. my audition was not going to be in Kathak
2: hmm. um, so
1: that posed a little bit of a you know struggle for me and
2: right. I did
1: always um admire contemporary as an art uh I really liked that style of movement um and I thought mm-hmm. you know it would be really fun and nice to learn it. So I first actually took one solid year of ballet. So I I, as someone who had started in classical, I did like the way that classical gave you a very structured form of learning and and Mm -hmm. I liked learning in that way. So I did start off with ballet first because I really wanted to make sure that my technique was very strong, right? Whether I whether I was talking about the pointing of my feet or even just the basic posture, right? Being able to Mm -hmm. stand in the way you're supposed to. hold your weight in the way you're supposed to. Um, so okay. I took a solid year of ballet, uh, when I first started college, and then I started getting into, I always continued my ballet that never stopped because, mm-hmm. um, again, it's that thing that you just need to keep practicing again and again. Um, and then I started doing more contemporary jazz and, mm-hmm. uh, I continued that through college and I would say a couple years after college. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, I don't, uh, I'm not able to do it as much as I would like to, as my concentration has become more of Kathak and mm-hmm. me. I think one of also the big reasons that that's happened is because ballet and contemporary are very dependent on the strength and flexibility of your body. So yeah. I worked really, really hard to build that, but I knew mm-hmm. that there were some things that I wasn't ever going to be able to do because it's not something that I started at the age of five or even 10. It's something I started at the age of 18. So in many ways, my muscles were already, you know, not flexible enough for that dance style. And I did a lot. um, But I knew that there were some things I wasn't going to be able to do that were going to stop me from, you know, going all the way with that dance style. So, I, but I still greatly appreciate it.
0: <laughs> Understood. And I guess this is going to be a controversial question, but in the, the sense of, so you've done all these dance forms, do you have a favorite dance form?
1: Oh, that is a <laughs> question. Um, I would say um, that each dance form is like a different language to me. So,
2: okay. for example,
1: I know how to speak different languages so sometimes i'm speaking in english but sometimes mm. if i get really really angry i might speak in marathi <laughs> mm. but so in the same way there are some sometimes you know where i feel like katak will always be that first love you know right that first language i learned that'll always stay there and then there's right. where i'm just like really feeling a lot me you know i really want mm. to just have that you know Mm. Okay. And then sometimes, you know, I'm really feeling that really fluid movement and I want to feel contemporary in my body. So mm. I would say, yeah, uh, I don't have a favorite. I, I think okay. it just depends on what mood I'm in and, you know, the way I want to speak that day. <laughs>
0: Okay, thanks for yeah. That's a that's a beautiful answer, Shivani. Thanks for uh, telling us your views on what your favorite dance is and how that varies depending on your mood and time. Yeah. Uh, and I guess yeah. So my uh, my next question was going to be on like when you have all these dance forms in your head, are you trying to add on more dance forms when you have a base knowledge or something? Uh, is it confusing to keep everything together? Like this belongs here, this belongs here, or how do you ha- how do you keep all that in your head together?
1: It's not. It's definitely confusing to a certain extent. I won't say that it's the, for me, it's the Mm -hmm. most easy thing that I've ever done. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for me, you know, I obviously, you know, dance is my life, but when you make your dance career, your career, your dancing, your relationship with that changes a little bit, right? You're you're dependent Mm -hmm. on dance, for not only happiness, you're dependent on dance for more at that point. Mm. So okay. um, I think your relationship becomes really different. And for me, that was my relationship with dance in terms of Kathak and Bollywood, mm. Lavi, specifically those three, I think. My relationship with those three changed a little bit after college when I was basically like, okay, now I want this to be my full-time career. So how, right. how do I change that? And I think doing different styles Helped me because I was I thought of that as the thing I was not doing for my career and only doing my for myself. So actually, um, you know, uh, for a couple of years I even did kuchipudi and it was hmm. super fun. I absolutely loved it. My legs were burning. I thought, oh, I'm a classical dancer. This won't be, you know, I'll be able to do it. It was extremely hard, but hmm. that was something I could do just for myself, right? And it wasn't something that was. Um, I wasn't depending on that for my career and it was just purely for myself so I think I always and I I truly love learning you know I love Mm -hmm. learning different styles seeing my gurus and the people showing me these art forms light up when they're talking about it and Mm -hmm. dancing it I just you know I I get to share some of that light and I think that's my favorite part (laughs)
0: Okay. Um, I like what you said about sh- yeah, sharing your light and that being. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: What you like about that? And kind of since you're talking about dancing and making that your career, a, a lot large part of, of that is like presenting to say a Western audience. Could you tell us a little bit about what that's like?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um So I think, you know, understanding Indian classical dance and music is Mm-hmm. is difficult for someone who's not in that world at all or um even for people who are who are dancers um in the western world or you know ballet dancers or hip hop dancers or whatever um, mm-hmm. it's it's hard to completely understand the structure of kathak and indian classical dance at a first go um, right. so uh, recently i had performed a piece sita's Ramayan, and it was basically the entire you know story of ramayana but told through sita's perspective and oh. yes it, it's one of my favorite pieces i love it and i love exploring her character in that in, in terms of the ramayana okay. and i presented that mostly to non indian audiences actually okay uh, i've i don't know if i've actually done it for just a purely indian thing i've mostly did it in in um, Performances where if there are few other performances, they are uh, like ballet or other things. They're not Indian performances. So that posed a challenge for me, right? So this is a, not only just South Asian or Indian, this is a completely like Hindu story, right? So maybe you're not Hindu even, you may not understand this. Maybe you are, or your parents are, still you may not understand it completely to um, the extent that I've researched. So how do I make that a story that everyone will understand without simplifying what I'm trying to show and without it being something that goes on for four hours. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I think actually the thing that helped me was not having like Hindi or Sanskrit lyrics. So I felt that if I mm-hmm. depended, com- depended completely on these lyrics, right. it would make it even more confusing if you didn't understand them to understand what was going on so it was a for me to depend mostly on my movement and um i think it was it's also just the way that you convey emotion right the way you convey your feelings and emotion to make them seem like something those are emotions and feelings we all as humans experience right so how do i convey it properly and get into her feeling and her heart properly to then touch the person who's in front of me and make that person also feel it. So that was mm-hmm. the main thing for me to be able to really emote her properly so that people could just understand her emotion, right? Even if they, now they may not pick up on every single thing I did fine, mm-hmm. but are they right. able to understand the basic emotions, right? What she's feeling because that will stay with them. Maybe the specifics of the story won't stay with them, but Mm -hmm. how she feels or how that character feels, that will definitely stay with them, right? Um, So I I think concentrating on that really helped me to bring Kathak and bring those stories that we are so familiar with to Mm -hmm. a non-Hindu, really, audience, right?
0: So that kind of brings the next question: What was the reception like? How did what what were the responses? What did people say? Did they understand your message? What was it like?
1: um I think they understood. They definitely understood it, and and they really, I think that was the thing that touched them the most was mm-hmm. that um they felt her emotions. Okay. Um, I think they also really enjoyed hearing the sound of the gurus, right? So mm-hmm. keeping a rhythm properly is something anyone can understand anywhere, right? Hitting that, the I call it the satisfaction of the sum. Mm-hmm. If you hit your sum in a really satisfying way, no matter if they don't completely understand it, they will also feel satisfied with you, right? Mm-hmm. Of hitting that sum. So I think if you're able to do that really well, they enjoy that. And and I think the sound of the gurus is also really it's wonderful to hear, obviously for me, but I think it was also wonderful for them to hear that accompanied with the music, which they weren't completely used to. Um, so that they also really enjoyed.
0: I do have a guru related question, but before I get to that, uh, I just want to wrap up the Ramayan part. So when you explored the Ramayana from Sita's perspective what, what were uh, what what were some insights you had or things you hadn't thought about before that came to light I think that would help people who only export Ramayan from how it's been right. told to us
1: so actually you know just a little background Padma and me my guru Padma Khanna mm-hmm. she yeah uh, for those who remember the Dur Darshan she was kai in that Dur Darshan okay
2: so um,
1: I think also because of that, I remember my parents showing me that Ramayran a lot, obviously, so I could see my guru. Mm-hmm. And in class, we used to do about a three-hour ballet every, the uh, the shera um, on, it was the Ramarn, And the whole class was involved with it. And because I grew mm-hmm. up, with it, I played lots of different roles. So I remember, right. I played, you know, the young... Ram Lakshman, then um, I played like The Friend and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. My most prized roles were Ahilya and Shurpanaka, which is always funny mm-hmm. for me. <laughs> for those who don't know, Shurpanaka is Javan, the evil one's sister, who's also right. kind of evil <laughs> and gets her nose and her ear cut off. And that right. goes to Ravan and tells him that you have to take revenge. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the reason I I was able to also do like really enjoy it was because whenever I had a role, my mom would actually sit me down and tell me all the, you know, the backstory that I may not be even presenting. Right. So for sure she used to tell me, well, actually she was very in love with her husband and Javan killed her husband. So she already had that resentment, you know, towards Hmm. him. And because of that, she already wanted to get revenge. And then this just pushed her even more, right? So hmm. she had an underlying feeling to it. It's not like Next oh, okay, I want him to kill want uh, to kill him. So knowing all of those uh backstories of each character helps you really understand their motives, right? Gives gives depth to that character just like we have mm-hmm. in our own lives as people. Um, I yeah. remember I played uh, Urmila which who was yeah. uh, Lakshman's wife and her story is also extremely fascinating to me because um, the, the story is that, you know, he left her so the three mm-hmm. of them went to Vanvas, went to exile and we right. say that so Lakshman could stay awake for 14 years uh, mm-hmm. and protect Ram and Sita. She slept those 14 years. So I always thought, why would she do that? <laughs> I'm sure mm-hmm. she had stuff to do because they weren't there. That makes no sense. Um, so the last role I played was Sita, right? And mm-hmm. with Sita, I was always, when I played the role, I was right this is such a boring role, right? I always wanted the really strong ones, Shropanaka, even Lakshman. I really wanted to play Lakshman. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this right. one was just like, so whatever. I'm just like, piche piche Ram, doing nothing, standing like this, oh, so sad. And I'm like, this is so boring. I was, and that's what I kept thinking. And then I started reading and, and researching more about her. And my first feelings always were, you know, First of all, let's talk about what actually happened after they came back to Ayodhya, mm-hmm. right? That sure. then she got pregnant and she was abandoned in the forest again. She mm-hmm. went through Agni Pariksha once, and yeah. she was asked to go through it again, which then she said no, and that mm-hmm. goes into Bhumi, right, into the forest. Right. So all of that for me just felt so unfair. I was like, it was so unfair to her. She sacrificed so much. She's so loyal. And this is so unfair. I can't believe this. And I was just very like, everything that happened was terrible. You know, I was very um, Mm. one uh, one level about it, right?
2: But
1: terrible. Everyone was unfair to her. She got the (laughs) short end of the stick with everything. Okay. I kept reading. And then I started to understand the other characters more too, right? Like
2: Mm
1: -hmm. she, yes, it was unfair, but really at the end of the story, there was also, it was a love story, right? It's a love story between Ram and Sita. It's a tragic love story, but it's, it's, I think there's more levels to it than just it being unfair for Sita. I think it's more, you know, what's, what's the battle between what you want to do and what you feel you have to do, you know, that battle between duty and love and, Some of it, I still, I, and I still don't know. And I'm sure if you, if we talk next year, I'm sure I'll have a different perspective on it (laughs) because it's something that I think about a lot that, you know, well, he didn't ask him, ask her to do it for him. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Agni Pariksha, he didn't say, Oh, I don't believe you. I could go through this Agni Pariksha. It was, I think it was more, well, I want to make sure we can have the happiest life possible when we go back because I love you so much. So can you go through this, you know, so go through this, right? And a lot of mm-hmm. us also filling in the blanks, right? I mean, when you read the Ramar, they don't talk about all of the sides, you know, all of the the whys of it, right? So a lot of it mm-hmm. in the blanks. And then, and the filling of the blanks also comes through just, stuff, maybe that's happening in your own life. And and you reflect that in the character, right? That, mm-hmm. oh, if I'm angry about something in my own life, I'm going to be like, that was so unfair to her. And then if I start understanding that situation in my own life, then I'll maybe I'm understanding her situation also, right? Nope. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of levels to it. And I, I s- still think I don't truly understand it. I don't know if I will. Or maybe I, I just, the point is to have different understandings at different times.
0: wow yeah wonderfully done shivani i love that you explored so many things and gave us so many examples to go through Definitely. and yeah gives it gives a lot more angles when you think about the and as well yeah. and so coming back to the ghongru thing so yeah uh, the reason i wanted to ask you that is so my backstory here is that uh recently i started practicing outside my house because my gym owner has like a wooden floor and he said you can practice here after so i get my workout in and i do my gym practice Perfect. so yeah so when uh, just around christmas time when jingle bells was playing i was kind of because now i'm at a point where i can like do my tatkar to any uh, rhythm And other people pick it up as well. So when I stopped, like, when I stopped my dance, people thought that my ghoongroos were part of the song, which was, like, a huge compliment to me. (laughs) Uh, On the other side, now I have people, like, uh, usually my practice is my own thing, and I don't really tell too many people outside. But now that I've put it outside in my gym, there are people coming up to me and asking me like, hey, what are those bells? What are you doing? And this and that, which I'm kind of like, I don't know what to say because they also ask me, are you going to plan and teach that? And i tell them, like, hey, I'm only a year in. (laughs) so how do you like for you this is more of a personal question for me when when people come to you and they're curious about hey what 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 are you doing what else, what else? so how do you use the answer people just to, this is more to help myself
1: <laughs> so usually i just tell them that um they are bells that we play mm-hmm. on our ankles that um are born to uh understand the rhythm and accompany the rhythm of our dancing right so um then, if I'm now, if I'm talking, that's someone, you know, if I'm doing a performance and someone asks me after that's something I mm-hmm. Now, right. when my students came to me and asked me, like, why gurus, right? Like, what's the real purpose of them? And mm-hmm. gun, it always feels like it's just an extension of of who you are. And hmm. we should give proper respect to our gurus, obviously, right? Hmm. So um, right. But it, it, it's they, the meaning that they have and the respect they have is what we give it. So mm-hmm. um, for for me, I've, I mean, we've always worn kundurus, right? From when we started Kathak, I've always had my my kundurus on my ankles. And um, I always feel like there's days where I, you know, or times where I may not use my kundurus as much for whatever reason. And then I, you miss that feeling. It feels like a you don't have part of your foot on you. Because
0: yeah, I don't feel like practicing when I don't have my gurus. Um,
1: my main reason that I don't, sometimes I practice without my Yeah, to make sure that my the sound of my foot on the floor is extremely clear. So that when mm-hmm. I have my gurus on as well, you're not only hearing my gurus, but you're also hearing the proper slapping of my foot.
0: So can you tell me a little bit about that? What does that mean when you say a clear sound? Is it just like clear sound between each foot or is it like your complete flat is hitting the floor what does that mean for you
1: so it's that front part of your foot right when we hit it like that it Mm -hmm. it makes a nice high-pitched clear a little staccato sound okay and when you hear that with the sound of the gurus it's just I think it just adds a little bit more. Right. And it, it, I see. you're seasoned feet. So I always I do tell my students, mm-hmm. some people like I have some seven or eight year olds and they already have that sound because biologically their feet are flatter. <laughs> so when your feet are Ooh. flatter, that sound comes right away and you just don't have to worry about it. But some of us are not so blessed. So we have to. Build up the calluses. It's also based on the calluses of your foot. So you build up those calluses of your foot and then it okay. gives you that really nice high um, slapping sound when you are doing okay. your
0: tatkar. So having flat feet is a benefit in Kathar.
1: I'm sure it is more painful. Right. From <laughs> for example, in daily life, it's a little more painful to go around mm-hmm. with flat feet. Um, but I, I do think, at least from what I've seen from my students, Mm-hmm. It definitely helps they're able to hit those sounds also for me my right foot is better than my left foot uh, mm-hmm. which happens to many dancers
0: oh, yeah most people are right-footed, right footed right that's just being right footed right yeah what
1: about? yeah because okay. I'm
0: left-handed I'm, but I'm right footed was what I found
1: right so my right side in generally is generally stronger
0: right so I'm always
1: trying to make sure that my left sound sounds as clear as my right as strong and clear as my right but for those flat-footed people, at least for my students, there's both sounds mm-hmm. completely equal. You know, it sounds okay. perfect on both.
0: And is that like when you say making like that flat sound? Is it is it just a con- is it just a matter of like hitting the floor harder, or is there more to it? Like the I way think- you put your toes and everything.
1: Yeah, I think there's more of a technique to it. For me, what okay. is that? If you know, if I'm just my foot is here, I yes am properly lifting the front part of my foot and then hitting yes. that sharply so that hmm. that's what helps me get that sound a little bit better
0: understood that is really interesting to me because like uh, like part of the reason i do this podcast is to get all these kathak tips as well because <laughs> but yeah I, I haven't actually thought that much about like where my toes are and all that when it's hitting the flat I just like ram it into the ground and make it make a sound but if there's no one living yeah go ahead
1: I, I'm um, always concerned about my knees when I do that right so I you know I feel like classical dancers in any classical discipline uh, are a, you know Indian classical dance are notorious mm. for their bad knees and I truly don't want bad knees. So I'm always a little bit concerned about how I'm hitting my mm-hmm. my, my foot to make sure that I'm just taking care of my body and for the future.
0: <laughs> right. And I started out at, at the age of twenty seven, so I'm twenty eight yeah. now. So I already have some awareness of joint issues already. So it's <laughs> so I yeah, but it's <laughs> That's good to know. But since we're talking about your students, I'd like to know a little more, like you as a teacher. So what's your approach? Do you like to be really strict? You're super chill, kind of in the middle? How do you do it?
1: I'm sure if my students listen to this, they already have an answer in their head about what I Uh think. But um, I like to think that I um, teach for the student. So I think there are some students who already are very, very anxious And Mm -hmm. I've noticed that the new generation of students are pretty Mm -hmm. anxious in general. Um, So maybe because they're trying to deal with school and everything at the same time. And so, you know, sometimes it makes them a little worried. So for them, I'm not going to be as strict because I know that in their heads, they're already extremely strict with themselves. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go easy on them right that doesn't mean okay. i'm i'm not going to correct things or i'm not going to say things but um mm-hmm. it's you know i still have to do that i'm still a teacher most of the time i'm right where they also already know um and mm-hmm. especially for those students who've been with me for a little bit they already know what i'm looking for they already know what they're supposed to do there's there's that relationship between teacher and student. Um, So they're able to do that properly. Now I have some students who are very like in the air about everything Mm -hmm. and have a hard time focusing and are thinking about everything else, but what they're doing in that moment. But usually I find is, is that it's, it's just a, it's just a personality thing for, in everything they do. It's not specific to kathak So I do like, you know, talking to the parents and, you know, if, especially if a student is going through any issues in mm-hmm. everything, knowing what their other teachers might be doing and really creating the correct and appropriate space for that child. Um, and I think it also, you know, you have some students when you have a school and this is what I do full time. Right. So right. Um, it's not that I'm only teaching seven or 10 students total. I have a lot. So I they not everyone's going to be extremely head on dedicated to Kathak mm-hmm. the way that I am right?
2: Um,
1: like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Most of the time, it's not going to be like that, especially when they start off young, they are they don't know what's going on half the time. Yeah. So um, for those who are extremely, extremely dedicated, mm-hmm. I make sure that I am very minutely detailed in how I'm correcting them also, right? Okay. Because... They, if they are taking that and properly going back and practicing it and understanding it and really want to do it, that's half yeah. the job, right? That's fifty percent of mm-hmm. what I have to do. So then I know that I, I know that whatever I say, even if maybe it comes out a little harsh or a little strict, they're not going mm-hmm. to think about that. Right. They're just going to think about what I said. And that's hmm. the other thing, right? Now, right now we're on Zoom, so I can't do anything about that. But usually when we're in a studio, yeah, whatever happens in the studio happens in the studio. As soon as we walk out. I'm their sister, right? I'm their friend. They tell me about what's going on in school or, you know, they're talking to me, but it should still, I Mm. still want to provide a happy and welcoming environment because that's what Mm. I had, you know, in my dance class and, and I loved it so much. And I have, Mm -hmm. I still have so many friendships from that class and everything. So I want to be able to create that community and space for them also.
0: Okay. And while you're teaching, are you also like an active performer yourself? Yes. Yeah. I, do, okay. I, I know 2020 is a weird time and performance yeah. is this, but like in general, <laughs> are you an active performer yourself?
1: I am. Yes. I, okay. I would say there are some seasons where it doesn't happen as much. So in okay. our recital. So usually around May, June, I'm yeah. performing that much, um, okay. but especially during the fall, uh, you know, September through December. I, I am actively performing. Okay.
0: Okay, because the reason I asked you is because there's another thing about like so when teachers are also active performers, there's a bit of a balance, right? Because when you're performing and you're going somewhere else, there might be periods where you're not available to your students, right. and then periods that you are. So, w- as a teacher, how do you balance that, or what do you? How do you make sure that your, your students are taken care of when you're not available and things like that?
1: Sure. So I will say my first priority will always be my students, and my- mm-hmm. so my students have a big performance, I'm I'm not going to take any performances on that day. You know, okay. I, I will give that. That's always going to be my first priority um, uh, because I do love teaching and that's I do love that. So um, that's always my first priority. And now say, you know, there's a rehearsal or something like that. So actually, my mom, um, she is a katak dancer also. Uh, okay so nice. I always joke that I have an unpaid intern in my mom. <laughs> so okay. she and my senior students usually um help me out when there's some if I have to miss a rehearsal or something and are able to take the rehearsal for me and uh, mm-hmm. also my, me and my mom very much you know you know she does a lot for the class she's we very much run it together um, right. so especially with the little ones and everything um, even during the senior practices, they always say that she's the sweet one and she's the nice one and I'm the stricter one. So I automatically right. get a nice balance of personality. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> so uh, that also helps. Um, but okay. it's definitely a big help. So it allows me okay. to still continue performing.
0: Hmm. you know what Shivani, for you i'm gonna make a five second clip and it's all it's gonna say it's uh i've i have an unpaid intern in my mom with no context
1: <laughs> and i'll send it to her and she'll
0: be like <laughs> and coming to your like the google performing art so since you do multiple dance forms so do you have like a kathak showcase a lavni showcase like do you have multiple dance forms and as showcases how do you balance how do you do that for your students
1: So, Lavni, I don't actively teach at the class. Um, I do workshops every now and then, um, but I don't actively teach it as of now. I would say like 90% of my, not even 90, all but one of my students learn Kathak. (laughs) So I do, um, I have a couple who learn um, contemporary and will perform their contemporary pieces. But otherwise, mostly everyone learns Kathak, and um, so they perform that. And so actually, usually the way we do it is the first half is fully Kathak. Mm -hmm. Second half is the other style. So whether it be contemporary, Mm -hmm. I taught them a a Marathi folk, not lavni, but general Marathi folk dance, they performed that or Mm -hmm. Bollywood pieces. So that's when they do all of those.
0: Okay, thanks for explaining the structure of your showcase, that really helps. Now, coming to you as a performer, um, I guess I want to start off with Times Square at Diwali because I've never been to New York uh, <laughs> ever. So, uh, firstly, could you paint us a pic- picture of what Diwali looks like at, time, uh, at Times Square and what was your performance there like?
1: Sure. So, actually, um, I had the immense pleasure and honor of uh, performing with Terrence Lewis. So, um, oh. so that it was it was contemporary mostly actually, right. um, and it was. Crazy, I feel like is the right word, (laughs) because there were so many people there and it was extremely Mm -hmm. active. Actually, right now, sitting in my house, looking back to that, I'm like, I can't even imagine that right now in the past Mm -hmm. nine months. But um, it was extremely, extremely, you know. A lot. And we actually, as a group, we learned that um, dance in a very short amount of time. So, which happens a lot. You know, I think people would be surprised to know that when, as a performer, when you get opportunities, rarely is it that, oh, you have a solid six months to perform. That's wonderful and it is helpful. But that's why, especially as a performer, it's so important to keep up your RIAs because sometimes people are like, can you perform? in the next week, (laughs) and what are you going to do? You're not going to start practicing just for that week, and it's not going to be good, right? So, um, but it was was really fun, Um, and he was so sweet and accommodating and um, kind while teaching us. It was really wonderful being able to dance with him, and uh, the audience also was extremely excited, so it was was fun to be a part of that. (laughs)
0: Understood okay yeah because i've only heard about Times square at during new year's eve of course yeah. but i imagine it's a huge spectacle anytime there's a spectacle or something worth celebrating so yeah thanks for sharing that and when it comes to your like say kathak performances over the years which are the ones that you, you've had a lot of fun and are there any anecdotes you'd like to share from there
1: hmm. okay so uh i would say definitely sitas Damayan was one of my favorites
0: oh, yeah. um I on
1: that one yeah so I performed that so I performed that a few times but specifically when I performed it at New York City dance week that was my mm-hmm. favorite because um I had performed at Philadelphia Museum of Art but then I kind of changed the story uh when, and I, I do change it actually every time I dance to it I do change it a little bit okay um, but that was definitely my, my uh, one of my favorites last uh fall of 2019 um, Mm -hmm. was the first time that i was able to choreograph a full 90 minute show uh as the lead choreographer and uh -hmm. you know it was something i had never done so i was a little bit intimidated because it was a lot um I, I do try to keep everything organized and, and mm-hmm. make sure that, you know, I'm able to get everything planned in advance and all that kind of stuff. So that right. show actually was uh, a mix of Kattak, uh, mm-hmm. which wasn't choreographed by me uh, mm. <laughs> and uh, contemporary. So I did have okay. two assistant choreographers who also helped me do everything. And we had a group mm-hmm. of about eight people and, um, the whole show was based on different ragas, and each item had a had a little bit of a different story. Um, so one was a love story, one was um, uh, a story of good versus evil, that kind of thing. Just basic ideas and concepts that we all connect to. Um, presented in, in these different styles. So I think that was one of my favorite performances, really because of the lead up to it. Um, I loved working with a cast and it's not something I get to do often because I'm a teacher. So this is something I always say that um, my only colleague is my unpaid intern, <laughs> my mother, but I do um, miss having colleagues. So being able to perform in in shows like this and have a cast Help allows me to have colleagues and, and dance with them and choreograph specifically for other professional dancers. I love choreographing for my students, but choreographing for professional dancers, um, you know, it, it's a totally different experience and it's extremely fulfilling to just see your vision come alive, right? And see everything just come and fit properly together. Um, so I, I, I really loved... I loved doing that as well. And then I think the last favorite performance would be um, my, I had a recent Katak and Lagmi performance online. So I think that was my favorite because it was, I mean, I had never done it. I had never really done such a long performance online and I was,
0: is that the auto India one or is no, that another no. one? Okay. Yes, yes, okay Art so
1: India one. So um, first I was also like, how am I supposed to be my lighting person and my camera person and my sound person while also performing? <laughs> so I think that was uh, definitely a struggle to figure out in the beginning. And, I see. Um, although it's nice because you, you know, if you're someone who kind of gets nervous or something like that, you have a chance to re-record if you mess up. Right. Um, I think also that's a little bit of a misconception when it comes to recording videos, because I do okay. put out videos and I do um usually short ones. But is that you're never actually going to get it
0: completely perfect
1: because I don't think perfection really exists in dance.
0: That is, that is the thing that all artists do say, like they never like I, it hundred percent. I
1: usually don't watch so. it because I hate watching myself dance. I will force mm-hmm. myself to so I can correct myself, but otherwise I know my that perfection doesn't exist and we're always trying to get to it. So it okay. always feels a little, oh, uh, to watch it. But um, also for me, I think it was a little difficult because, especially for me, it comes alive when you have an audience, right? So okay. being able to perform to an audience, for me as a performer, I love feeding off that energy and I, I know I perform the best when i have people in front of me to perform to
2: especially hmm.
1: with LAVNI, LAVNI, you is all about the uh, the connection between the audience and the artist mm-hmm. when you have no one there you're connecting with a small circle on your phone <laughs> the camera <laughs> so it's it's hard to emote to that it's something that right. as performing artists where we haven't really been used to and we've kind of been forced mm-hmm. to explore it this year. Yeah, It is a totally new world that I'm sure is going to become more and more popular, especially now and especially for the young generation of dancers. I'm sure there, there will come a time where they may do more stuff online than they do to an audience. So it is something we will have to teach, right, at some point.
0: <laughs> yes and i will say like i love your videos because they are like really high production and this it shows that a lot of work and effort has gone into each of them
1: yeah those are not done by me i that's uh i have a mm-hmm. Rashi Rashi and she does okay mine. she does okay filming and the editing and she's really good at it and mm-hmm. um it's nice because we're friends. So it's very easy to emote to her. It's actually easier okay. when, you know, there's a person behind the camera because then I always think, Oh, I'm doing it to Rashi. I'm not doing it to this camera, but then I doing it for Ardo India, there was no one there. It was me and, and the camera. So that posed a little bit of a difficulty for me.
0: Okay. That, yeah, I understood. I think I like that you, you know, you made the difference between, you know, emoting to a camera and then emoting to a camera but your friends behind that I like right those differences there at this point i just want to take a moment to think about if there's anything yes now i remember Ooh. so I, at this point uh, it's sometimes it should be the first question but it's a good time to get to i would like to talk about like your Katha training both under padmaji and Ji, uh, what's that been like
1: yes uh, so Spandag? um uh, with Padmati, I started when I was five. So I was mm-hmm. very young, um, mm-hmm. is one of the senior students or was one of the senior students of um, Nataraj Gopi ji. And um, so, you know, when you think of Gopi Krishnaji, you think of those few, few things that are his uh, very um, typical things that he did, right? So, um, you know, the extremely fast speed of of the tukras and parans and specifically the uh, the tukras where you have to slide and fall right so yeah. um you know it ha- he had a more of a tandov style so that was the kind of uh, style that i had learned which i always will i totally totally love and mm-hmm. i trained with her for about uh, 13 years until i went to college and actually one year after college also um yeah so that's been most of my training and um you know she was always like basically like a second mom to me when i went to that class so it was truly truly wonderful uh to learn from her and uh in the past year actually i've been training with Pashanko uh Pashaji and he uh is was a senior disciple of uh Dr Guru Mayara
2: okay. so
1: um that's a different style you know that's the uh little bit of a combination of Jaipur and Lucknow Karana style. So um, it was a little difficult for me in the beginning to kind of change a little bit of how I was doing it and and do justice to both the types of Kathak that I had learned, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think in some ways it's more difficult than just learning two different styles. Two different styles is two completely different styles. Here it's Mm -hmm. the same hands, the same pose, but little bit different right and how do you do justice to that little bit of difference um so yes i'm 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 currently training with him uh unfortunately over zoom (laughs) but uh, but um yeah so i it's i hope to continue learning uh no matter what
0: (laughs) and since you're Continuing your Kathak education, but you already had a background of like doing Kathak for a while. What are the things you're working on right now, Shivani? Um, right now
1: to so I guess on a personal level is yeah. uh, my my biggest thing that's always in my mind is telling whatever story I'm telling or emotions I'm portraying and doing that in the most realistic way possible, right? So Kathak, when it comes to abhinaya and emoting, is a very small thin line that you're walking right uh that you don't want to be overly dramatic but you don't want to be so subtle that you can't even see what you're doing right how do you completely get into the mindset of a character completely engulf yourself in a in an emotion Mm -hmm. and then present it right so that's my main thing that i work i'm working on on a personal level and um of course, I I feel like I go back to things that I learned a long time ago and then I'm like, oh, I'm doing horribly at this still. So I feel like there's always an extent of my, you know, my chakras need to be cleaner. My tatkar needs to be cleaner. My arms can be a little more graceful. Um, you know, my I can have more of a sharpness in my movement. So, I mean, I feel like that I'll work on forever. Right. <laughs> that I that working on that just never goes away
0: <laughs> and it's always nice to hear about like their your, your teacher kind of continuously working on things as well uh i guess one more question on this note is you're talking about like practice what does your riyaz ritual look like i think we touched upon a little before that you have pre- periods where you pray you focus on one but i just wanted to know in general what is a real what does your dance practice look like
1: totally so because I go to class twice a week. That also helps me, right? You know, there's Mm -hmm. always whatever we're working on in class, I'm practicing. And I'm the kind of person where, um, like, I get these random spurts, like, suddenly, I'm like, I also stay up pretty late. So suddenly, Mm -hmm. midnight, I'll be like, you know, I should really go back to this. And then I'll get up and I'll and then I'll start going into that. And then somehow two hours are just gone, because I've, I've, you know, I start practicing it and I start going through it. So a lot of the times I feel like that dictates how I'm practicing. I try to on a weekly basis still take time to, you know, practice my tatkar, uh, um, to try to make that cleaner and my chakras, of course. And then, you know, just take different things that I've learned on and every week maybe take something different that I learned a while ago and, and bring it back into my memory, try to make it cleaner um, than before, try to make my emotions stronger, whatever I feel like I need to work on with that specific piece, um, just continue making that better. Because I think sometimes we get really focused on just choreographing and learning new stuff, which is definitely extremely important as well. Um, but the stuff that we learned long ago, we can probably do it so much better now. So going back to it and rehashing that and, and working through that a little bit more is always helpful and makes our dancing in general a lot better.
0: Okay. I'm just like absorbing all of that. Pretty much it. And kind of that kind of brings me to my final question, Shivani D. So since you're doing, you're doing Kathak, you're doing Lavni, you're doing contemporary and you have all these backgrounds and, you know, you're putting out videos, you're doing, you know, you have your students as well and your own practice. So when it comes to dance in Kathak, what would you like your impact and legacy to be?
1: Um, I really want my legacy to be my students, you know, okay. I think seeing them, <laughs> seeing them flourish mm-hmm. and really have that passion and, and, um, love for their art Mm -hmm. and see dance as just a bigger thing is really important. Uh, Mm -hmm. especially for this, they, a lot of them are like me where they're first or second generation immigrants and, you know, doing dance as a career really was unheard of, was it Mm -hmm. not the norm and, and it was something of a big Nervous conversation, you know, when I first had it with my parents about me wanting to do this. Right. Um, my parents are extremely. I'm lucky. My parents and my family and my friends are very, very supportive. I mm. always supported me through it. But not everyone has that. Most don't have that, and I still get comments, right? You know, even from mm. some of my own, sometimes my old students' parents. But I don't mind that because I would rather have those comments and kind of open up their worlds so that. As a student, this can be something you, yeah, there's a chance you may stop and not do this ever again. There's a chance that this just remains, you know, something you do for yourself the rest of the life, your life. This may be something where you lose your job, but then you decide, oh, I have dance and you start teaching and that helps you. That would be wonderful. Or maybe you do decide to become a dance teacher, a professional artist Um, And that should be an available option to you. Right. That, uh, you know, just because because, you know, in our culture or at least here, we're very our parents always wanted to have for us this Mm financial success, right? We are, uh, they think very practically and Mm -hmm. we want for them that success meant, oh, you're going to become a doctor or an engineer or Mm -hmm. or in my dad's case, a consultant. (laughs) And that's going to make you successful, right? Um, But sometimes that's not truly what that child wants to do. I feel like for me, Mm -hmm. even if they realized they wanted to do something else and they want, and this opens the world for them being able to do that in the future as their career. That would make me so happy. You know, yeah. I just want them to have those possibilities for their future if they decide to do it.
0: Okay. I really liked what you said about, you know, that you'd want to, you'd rather hear comments yeah. and have that opportunity to open up their world instead of like just being like angry with them for making such comments.
1: It's, it's, uh, it's natural, right? Because I, I mean, I understand where those comments come from. My parents mm-hmm. decided to leave their entire families right. here, um, mm-hmm. where my only my Masi was there. But for some, they didn't have anyone here. So right. when they think about their kids' future, they're just worried, right? They want their kids to have... A, a stronger and more protected future than what they have. They don't want them to go through, you know, times of distress. So right. I understand where those emotions are coming from, right, that's where they're coming from. So how now the, I understand the world of South Asian art in this country is emerging, but it's emerging quickly, you know. Um, hmm. So I'm excited to see what we continue do uh, doing with it. And I'm excited to provide those opportunities of making this an actual career for the next generation.
0: Um, yeah. it's So uh, after talking to so many people, it's interesting as to how different people perceive it. Like uh, you, for you, like South Asian arts is performing, like progressing quickly for people. For some people it's not progressing quickly enough. For some people it's like maybe not. Yeah. It needs to be much, much quicker. So it's, I, I've gotten a very variety, wide variety of, opinions on that but it's, uh, it's always great to hear where everyone else is coming from as well so yeah with that I'd like to bring this episode to a close Shivani thanks a lot for coming on this I yeah I, I love the videos that you did and I purely approached you on the basis so of that like I have to have this person on my podcast I'm really, really glad we did this oh
1: thank you so much it. thank you for having me